Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. This is an episode I have been looking forward to for a couple weeks now, honestly. Kind of ever since I got to talk to Zach Hicks and AJ Schulte in the preseason, I've kind of been looking forward to talk to you guys again. Um, Listeners, dear listeners, if you guys do not already follow them on Twitter... Zach is the lead analyst for Sports Illustrated's Colts coverage. He also does Broncos breakdowns uh, of their film on Mile High Huddle. And he also is a contributor to Cover One. You can find him on Twitter at Zach Hicks 2. And it's H-I-C-K-S 2. And you can also find AJ on Twitter at AJ Draft Scout. His writing, to the best of my knowledge, tell me if I'm wrong, AJ, is over at Mile High Report. Yep, that's right. Cool. Um, and he actually just did a piece. He kind of he kind of got ahead of me on this, so it helped me inspire me. But you actually wrote a piece today about if the Broncos should trade Kyle Fuller. I think we'll get to that uh, in a second. Because uh, the first thing I really want to kind of just throw out to start where we're at is, so the Broncos are 3-2. and two. They beat up on three kind of nobodies to start, you know, to be kind. Um and then they've kind of they, – they lost to a, what looks like a Super Bowl contending Ravens team. Let's be real. But then they dropped the ball against Pittsburgh, in my opinion. Um, that's where I kind of land on them. Uh, but what do you guys think about this? Th- they're 3-2. and two? Uh, Are they pretenders? Are they for real? We don't know. What, like, what are you guys thinking with stuff right now? I mean, AJ, you can go first if you want through there. Yeah. Um, to me, it still kind of feels like they have the ability to – make the playoffs and, and content it's just it, it's been like some really suspect kind of here and there and the injuries right now but when people when as the season moves on and these guys start coming back healthy you know i mean we'll we'll find out here in the next few weeks how the broncos can contend really moving but i like their chances in this afc out of everybody that's not a lock it kind of feels like it's it's their show if they just kind of play like they should be playing. And they just they didn't against Pittsburgh. They started off just really slow. The play calling was weird. Uh, like those those first two drives have been just beaten to bits on Twitter right now. But I think if they can figure it out and play the way they should be, I, I think they can contend for the playoffs. Uh, 
where do you land on him though, Zach? Uh, I know again, like you, you fall really closely with the Colts and believe mm-hmm. it or not, because of the AFC South and the kind of the state they're in, the Colts technically are still in it. Like there's definitely still in the playoff hunt as well. And AJ alluded to the fact that there's some locks and it, and again, like I know we're only hitting week six, but it does look like the AFC playoff picture. Yes. It's wide open in terms of like who is where, but like, I would be floored at this point, barring, you know, significant injury. If Buffalo doesn't make it, if Baltimore doesn't make it, we basically have to count on the Chargers making it at this point because they've already beaten two other teams in the AFC West, including the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, obviously, either the Titans or the Colts are going to win the AFC South. So those four spots look like pretty close to locked up. And then the AFC North is so good, I, I would bet on either the Ravens or the Browns making the division or one of them making the wild card. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough. And it's, you know, the way that you pose the question is, are the Broncos for real? Are they pretenders? I think it's kind of tough. They're kind of in that, like, they're competing for a wild card spot at this point, because we can all, we can all say that they're not, they're not going to beat out the Chargers for the division. They're not going to beat out the Chiefs for the division either. Uh, So they are competing for kind of that third spot in a very good division. This is a very good division. I mean, even, even the Raiders are a decent team, despite all the turmoil that's, that's going on there. Um, but the biggest thing is they are really competing for that bottom edge playoff spot. And you're kind of in that place where you never really want to be because uh, your defense isn't dominant enough to win with a, an offense that isn't top tier. And again, your, your offense isn't top tier, so it's not going to propel your, your team forward. Uh, but right now, you know, I, I, I think we saw them. We saw a lot of good things in those first three games, albeit against really, really bad teams. Uh, the Ravens game, you can kind of excuse that a bit. Your quarterback got hurt. It's against the top team in the AFC. Uh, but like you said, they dropped the ball this past weekend. Uh, and I think we're going to find out in this next game really what this team is about. You know, you have a very, very, very winnable game against the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders are going through some massive turmoil right now uh, with their head coach resigning earlier this week. Uh, they're a team that hasn't been great the last couple of weeks. Either they just had a really awful game that they just lost Derek Carr, did not look like Derek Carr at all in that one. Uh, so you really need to capitalize on this game if you want to have a chance at making these playoffs. Because if you drop this game uh, right after that, you get the Cleveland Browns, and if you're not, you, you know, that's going to be a tough game to win. So going, if you drop this game, your season looks a lot more bleak. So we're going to find out pretty much this next week. You know, should we care about this Broncos team? Do we think they're a playoff team going forward? Because uh, if they drop this game against the Raiders, there's really no excuse. No, and and after losing the Steelers game, in my opinion, this Raiders game is as close to a must win game as you can get this early in the season, just because yeah. if they want to actually chase the playoffs, knowing that they have four days to turn around and then play the Browns, you really needed to win both the Steelers game and the Raiders game to, for me to feel good about the playoff chances. Cause right now, basically I would say it's about a coin flip. They need, they need to beat yeah. every team that they should beat. And then they, they need to be able to compete with the, the heavyweights. Like even if they don't win all of them, like realistically, you know, obviously they're not going to beat every single one of them but they can't just not show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got four games against the chargers and chiefs down the stretch as well, along with the Browns this week. I mean, those they, are tough, tough, tough games. They still have the Browns. They have the Cowboys. Uh, and then they have yeah. the Bengals. And again, like I did not expect the Bengals to look as good as they do. And maybe they kind of fall off as you know, the year progresses. We don't know yet, Probably. but, but they, they look, I would say they look better than the Broncos oh. have the last two weeks for sure. <laughs> so if you guys didn't hear that uh aj has a fire alarm so he's he's checking on that really quick but but no Scared i just crap out of me yeah I, I don't know what was going on. um but i would just say though like you have the raiders and again like the way this all went down and again like i as soon as i heard what happened with gruden i was calling for gruden to resign so i i like i don't want to bog you guys down with that but i mm-hmm. the right thing happened i'm i, I was kind of surprised and obviously a bit disappointed that he even coached this last week. Yeah, um, that was uh, weird. Man. I mean, it's that, a weird situation that that played out like that. It's predictable with the NFL. It's what the NFL does. I mean, if this other stuff didn't come out over the weekend, he would still be the coach. Like, and after what he said about uh, the NFL PA guy, is it DeMarie Smith? I want to say yep, the name yep. correctly. I think. Yeah. So, it's just how the NFL rule, rolls, and that's just what they would do. They would have let him keep coaching if it weren't for the extra stuff that came out. But once it all came out in its entirety, uh, he was, you know, asked to resign. Um, 
yeah, it's awful, man. It's awful that, that there's people out there that are like that. And rightfully he's no longer part of the NFL. And even, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took him out of the ring of honor as well. And from a, from a competitive standpoint though, it's actually really weird for the Broncos going into this game because like, John Gruden is one of the better play callers in the league, or he was one of the better play callers in the league. There's, there's little doubt in my mind of that. Uh, And the way he was mixing personnel makes it really hard to prepare for. And he, he's had Fangio's number over the last couple of years. He finds ways to create offense against the Fangio defense, even when Fangio had Bradley Chubb and Von Miller in the same game. So like the fact that they lost him should theoretically help the Broncos quite a bit. If, even like beyond the actual turmoil part of it, because that'll probably be a factor as well. But here's the kind of the sneaky part of this is the fact that like the Raiders players may very well take all this and kind of it might be a bit of a rallying point. And I know that sounds like mm-hmm. kind of like soft, but like that kind of stuff does happen. And the other part of this that like we can't really underrate, we have to kind of like accept it for what it is. They're unpredictable. You don't know what the game management's going to look like now. They may be very, very aggressive. They may be not, you know, we don't know. Um, and also the play calling tendencies, all of a sudden, all that film you have on them, yes, that's the same personnel, but how they call plays and when they call plays, that's out the window. And so they could be hard to prepare for. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, Greg Olson, I think is our offense coordinator now and he's going to be their yep. play caller. Uh, he didn't have the greatest run in Jacksonville. I'm very familiar with that. I think that's right around the time I started getting into more of the Colts coverage and such, uh, so I think that is a much, much easier to game plan for than uh, John Gruden's offense that he would call. Uh, but yeah, like you said, this could be a game where the Raiders want to come out and, and kind of step up. I, I think it's going to be a game where the Raiders as players and their team comes out early with a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, it, it's going to be a quick punch early. And if the, if the Broncos can survive that quick punch, I think they can, they can win this game for sure. I mean, they're the much more talented team. Uh, when it comes to this matchup. Uh, but yeah, man, it, it could be a game where they're, it's kind of like a trap game where the Raiders players and, and their new coaches kind of surprise us a little bit. Are there yeah, any Matt? Oh, go ahead. I'm back. Um, but, but the, the other thing to keep in mind is the Raiders, if they feel like this is a game that they need to kind of rally and they, they could be dangerous, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be aggressive on fourth down. They'll be pulling out the stops just because they need they need this win to move forward and you know if if that's the case the denver's got to be ready because you can't you can't go in and just run run pass and not be ready on fourth down if it's short they'll be like let's just go for it so why not what if we, what have we got to lose after this huge scandal how do you feel about the Broncos matchups with the Raiders? Like if we take out the the game plan and the kind of the unpredictability of it, like how do you actually feel about the matchups um, based on like what we've all kind of seen? And I'm going to admit, like I've seen, I've watched a lot of broadcast tape over the last three days because I'm still having some issues with game pass. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks NFL for completely screwing me, but that's just kind of how it is. Uh, but I have watched as much as I could of them. Um, I mean, Darren Waller, this is one of those games where I'm glad Ronald Darby's back. We don't know if Ronald Darby's going to be healthy enough to play the whole game. But this is the first game where if Ronald Darby had not gotten hurt, this is the game where we could have seen a lot of dime because it would have made sense mm-hmm. to have Patrick Peter uh, Patrick Sertan on Darren Waller as much as you could. Because especially now that Josie Jewell's hurt, and again, I'm not saying Josie Jewell one-on-one with Waller is good, but Justin Sernod... There is a fall off there, and I think fans didn't expect that because Sernod's a better athlete. And again, like I, you, like we've all kind of been saying this for a minute, athleticism doesn't make everything with a linebacker. Um, so this last game against the Steelers is the first game that really kind of showed up where Sernod, his processing is a little bit slower. Um, and again, he's inexperienced. Like this isn't. I'm not trying to bury him, but his processing isn't quite as fast as Josie Jules is. He's not quite as good a run defender. Um, and he can be had by uh, misdirection. And I think the Raiders offense is going to try and do that. Yeah. yeah. To me, the worrying bit for me is if Kyle Fuller draws Henry Ruggs. Because Kyle Fuller, the deep bombs have been just killing him. I mean, we saw it in the Steelers game with, uh, with Ben Roethlisberger that, quite frankly, we didn't think could make those, those throws. And he's... It, Henry Ruggs is just ridiculous deep 
he's been so good for them. I, that that to me is all, my biggest worry, just because Kyle Fuller last couple of games. I don't know if the long one to Deontay Johnson was necessarily a coverage bust, like he was expecting safety help or not. But yeah, the, that's worrying. I mean, he's covering short and intermediate well. It's the deep bombs have just been killing him. And if the offense isn't clicking enough, that can break them. And what's concerning to me about that is from the beginning of the season till now, teams have been trying to dial that up. So it's it's something that teams knew was going to be exploitable. Um, and teams have done a good job of using Fangio's cover four and cover six rules against him by using a number two receiver that runs vertical enough to occupy the safety, which ends up leaving Kyle four and one-on-one. The Raiders are going to be able to do that. That's been on tape. Um, fan, it's on Fangio and it's on Fuller to like make it sure it's not effective because Carr can hit that reliably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know it's it's funny on on paper the Broncos do match up well with this Raiders offense. You know, probably better than most teams. Uh, they have good pass rushers. You know, Malik Reed and Von Miller, are very very good pass rushers. They have the interior guys that can at least stand up against this run game. Uh, it makes some things hard uh, in the, in the run game for the Raiders. And then they obviously have the cornerback depth that you know. Kyle Fuller has not been Kyle Fuller, but he's still been fine for the most part. You know, better than a lot of teams' corners. Uh, then you got Ronald Darby coming back. You got Sertain. Bryce Callahan's had a really, really good season, I think. And then your safety play has been, I think, pretty good too. Uh, they they do have the personnel to match up with the Raiders better than most teams. Uh, but it is like what AJ was saying. What you guys have been saying is that deep ball is going to be a threat. Rugs is a, a different animal when it comes to getting down the field. Uh, and I know the Raiders don't target that enough don't target that a ton but they do send rugs down there quite a bit so if there are opportunities to hit him they won't hesitate and they will get the ball especially you know we, we don't know how this new offensive coordinator is going to do things or you know how Carr is going to react to having a new offensive coordinator maybe he'll let the ball rip a little bit more uh, I, I don't know I mean we've seen a lot of Carr throughout his career so maybe we kind of do know what he is at this point but you know if he gets those one-on-one opportunities with Fuller down the field I can definitely see him uh, taking some chances because again we said this this game could be a game where the Raiders feel like it's like their last shot of the season and they have to make a big statement so um, that is definitely the biggest concern but on paper you know it, it's hard to definitely cover Waller it's hard to cover Ruggs hard to cover Renfro even Renfro's been very good this year uh, but I think the Broncos match up much much better than most teams do against this team it's just if those guys step up perform uh, on Sunday yeah it, what kind of surprising to me is like on paper, the Broncos, I think, are like, I think they're fourth in yards per game to allow to tight ends. Now, granted, you know, they've not played a Darren Waller type, so I mean, mm-hmm. but that, the DVOA is also, I think, like seventh or eighth, which which you'd like to see, especially with Josie Jewell out. Uh, but to me, this is a game where Von Miller, probably, he's going to have to go off. But they have Brandon Parker out there at right tackle. Yep. Brandon Parker was not good last week against Chicago. I think he had like four or five penalties. Um, I think it was five pressures, I want to say. And, and like Vaughn Miller's got a but We know how Derek Carr does under pressure. Yeah, and that's and one of the. Go ahead. This is a winnable game for this defense. And I, I'm really excited to see Draymond versus Alex Leatherwood on the inside. I think that'll be an interesting matchup. I'm excited to see Draymond against every, anybody at this point. He's been awesome this year. He has been so, so good this year. So good. One of the funny things about Draymond Jones to me is how those of us who watch a lot of tape love him. Basically, anybody who's like looking at the box score is like, what, what are you guys on? Because I don't see it. Uh, because like sacks, pressures, like they, they don't show up. Like he's not like generating actual tallied stats. But I agree with you guys. Like Draymond's burst off the snap is fun to watch. Like has you know the hashtag fun to watch stuff. But I also agree with uh, AJ. Like the way Parker looked, if they're rolling him back out there and the Broncos don't abuse him, I think at that point we do have to kind of wonder if this isn't necessarily because after the Jaguars game, after the Jets game, basically everybody was running out to say Vaughn is back to 2019 Vaughn. And again, I'm as guilty of it as everybody else. That 29 uh, the Jets game. The way he bent around the the H, uh, I want to say it was Carter, uh, bent around the, the chip block by Carter to get mm-hmm. to yeah. Zach Wilson was just it was fun. It was cool. It was really it, it was vintage Vaughn. 
But the last two weeks, I I expected him to do more in the Pittsburgh game. Uh, and again, part of that was Ben getting the ball out pretty quick, um, but not always. Like he was in the pocket a decent bit. Um, so, and again, I'm not trying to say Vaughn is washed or anything. I'm not, you know, running to do the Twitter overreaction by any means. But this is one of those games where Vaughn should dominate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, oh, go ahead. I just love watching. I love when watching Yell 22 and getting the sideline view. And right when the ball is snapped, pressing pause, Draymond's off the ball and nobody else has even moved. Like, yep. that kind of stuff, I mean, we saw in the Jets game, he was just wrecking their run game. Yeah, uh, and, and that that's not going to count in his stats and pressures and whatnot. But when you're driving the right guard back four or five yards because you catch him off the snap and you disrupt the rushing lanes for that running back, especially in that kind of offense, that's a yeah, that that's kind of the whole. I, I remember that ESPN guy who was like, Aaron Donald's a bad run defender for doing the same thing, but he was just clogging up lanes and letting other people come in and clean up and making it easier for them. So Dray, like I, I wrote a couple weeks ago about how Draymond's being unsung and he, cause he's doing a lot of work for the team that doesn't show up. He is. Uh, I would say at this point, pretty confident that confidently that he's the Broncos best defensive tackle. Um, and I like Shelby Harris, so I'm not trying to like, you know, throw shade on him by any means, but Draymond, the skill set is there for Draymond to like really blow up. Um, we're just kind of waiting for it to happen in terms of like numbers and stuff. Uh, how do you guys feel about the Broncos offense? Cause I know that has been the thing that's been the most under fire for the last three days. Um, and again, I will take some credit for this. Cause again, I don't want to say like, over, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but, but I called out Pat Shermer after the Ravens game because I thought Pat Shermer blew it in the Ravens game. Um, and I don't think it got better in the Pittsburgh game. Uh, and again, I'm not like I'm not the guy saying go fire Pat Shermer because I don't think firing him right now and pushing Mike Munchak into OC or pushing Zach Azani into OC, I don't think that helps the problem. I think yeah. right now what you're doing is then you're giving him a, an extra hat and then like, oh shit, why is our wide receiver, why are they not performing now? Because all of a sudden the wide receiver coach is doing too much. So I don't believe that that's necessarily the issue, but I do think Pat Shermer he should be under scrutiny after the last two weeks. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of fans understand that you can criticize without all of a sudden jumping to fire, fire everybody, fire everybody. You know, like, it, there's there's ways that you can actually talk about these things and be like, look, the first three weeks I thought Sharmer had had a really good game plan. Same. Uh, against bad defenses, bad teams, but I think he played a lot into Teddy Bridgewater's strengths. I think he did a lot of good things. And as a result, the offense was clicking. And, and, you know, some of the red zone stuff wasn't amazing. But for the most part, I think they did a great job in those first three games. Now, these last two weeks against very, very different defenses, very different teams, it just hasn't been the same. Uh, you know, at times going away from the run too much. At times going too much to the run. You know, just it, just, it seems like the play calling situationally has been bad. It's not getting Teddy Bridgewater into a comfortable place when he's played. Definitely didn't get Drew Locke into a comfortable place when he played. Uh, last week, and that's not me saying that Drew Locke would have been great if it was, but you know, it, it, it was just the play calling has just been an issue, and I think that's honestly been the biggest issue these last two weeks. Is I, I still think Bridgewater's been fine for the most part when he's had the chances to make things happen. He's still he's kind of been the Bridgewater from the first three weeks, just put into against tougher defenses and and with play calling that hasn't been really helping him. Uh, so yeah, I think Shermer, I think this next game is another one where it's like for Shermer, this is just a really big one where we're going to be able to see kind of what we're getting from him this year, because, you know, great three first three weeks, but these last two games when it really mattered, it's, it's been not where it needs to be. So when you got this game, that's like you said, kind of a must win early in the season, you have to come out fire and you have to, you know, do things that you were doing in those first three games. Uh, we can't have another repeat performance like the last two weeks. So uh, I think that's been the biggest issue, the offensive line. Obviously, we could talk about as well. But I know AJ could talk a lot about the offensive line. He's done a lot of film work on that. But that's my biggest thing. As someone who's watched Teddy Bridgewater exclusively this year, I've been I've done probably film on Bridgewater, I think, four of the five weeks or three of the five weeks. I still think he's the same Teddy Bridgewater. He looks exactly the same. He's still doing Teddy Bridgewater things. Uh, the, the biggest thing is just the play calling and the situation and, and the teams they're playing against. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and for me, I'm wondering how much this offense is really missing KJ Hamler. Because they just they don't have that guy vertically. Uh-huh. And to, I mean, you, we've seen it the last couple of weeks. Defenses have just not cared about deep shots and, and stretching the field. They are coming up against this Broncos offense, and it's up, it's on to Shermer to call plays and and to take advantage of that. And it's just not happening. It, the strange part for me was why it took him so long to sign John Brown. Yeah, like yep. that doesn't really make sense to me. Um, nope. Because they could have used him last week. They they could have used him easily in that game against Pittsburgh. I would and... say if they were going to use 11 personnel, three receiver sets for listeners, on 70% of their offensive snaps like they did the last two weeks, I don't know why they didn't sign John Brown two weeks ago. Yeah. Like, I like Hinton as for what he is as a special teamer. But come on. Like, who, who is he really threatening? Yeah out there if yeah. you're a defense you know yeah Deontay Spencer like why what that 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 one bugged me that was a little it, like you know, you'd think with with Noah Fant and the way that the offense has been was clicking early in 12 personnel and heavy heavier looks you'd think with the amount of wide receiver injuries that they would shift into that and exploit those mismatches and they just didn't like, Noah Fant was used more as a blocker than as a receiver in that Pittsburgh game. Yep. And I get it because T.J. Watt is really good, but you lose the advantage of Noah Fant out there in space. I don't get why – because in the Baltimore game, Alberto was still healthy. So, like, that mm-hmm. wasn't – like, there is literally no excuse for going with 11 as much as they did because David Moore was coming off of signing on Tuesday – he played minimal snaps and then they just threw Kendall Hinton out there. And again, like, like you said, Zach, I like Kendall Hinton a lot. I'm really glad he's making yeah. it in the league at this point. Yeah. But he's a depth receiver. He's not a guy you want playing 70% of the snaps. Uh, and so like at some point, like you should probably look in the mirror and say, why am I not adjusting to what I have in front of me in terms of personnel? And that's honestly my biggest critique of Shermer more than the running game stuff. And again, like I, like I was, Early on, I said that the Broncos were running ineffectively, and that's true. Like, they were. And now I've it almost feels like I've rubber-banded and said, like, now it seems like they're not running in the right situations. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think you need to give Melvin Gordon the ball 30 times, but when you go to the red zone 11 times and you throw a pass 10 of those times, like, there's something going on there that's wrong, especially when you look at the numbers. And by DVOA, the Broncos have the fourth worst red zone offense in the NFL right now. Um it's and it's every bit as ugly as that number looks like it's they've been completely ineffective once they get into the 20 some of its turnover stuff like that but the play calling in pittsburgh was just brutal in the red zone yeah. there's a lot of isolation routes uh they didn't do enough to give teddy good looks um it was just literally asking him to throw jump balls to somebody and that's not yeah. first of all that's not teddy's game so like that's yeah. a problem but second of all like the red zone is where the play caller has to do the work to help someone get open because there's not enough space for guys to just create separation on their own. And that's honestly always been my biggest critique of Shermer's offense is his offense over relies on the wide receiver creating separation. He doesn't yeah. do enough to help them create separation. And that's showing up this year because we don't have Jerry Judy. Yeah, but say so your separators are hurt right now. Hamler's hurt. Judy is hurt. Sutton is a very good receiver. Like he's still kind of dealing with some injury stuff, but like, Sutton's a very good receiver, but he's he's not a separator. He's never been that. He's never been like, you know, if you had to put him with Judy, he doesn't hold a candle to Judy as a separator. Uh, so losing Judy, losing um, losing Hamler, and then you're not using your tight ends well these last couple weeks where your tight ends are mismatches to separate. You're not going to have a bunch of guys get open. Now, John Brown, I think that signing was great. I think that's a very good signing and, and hopefully should fit. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's crazy, especially, you know, kind of going backtracking a little bit, looking at that Ravens game, like what you said with the run game. We just saw on Monday night the Ravens and Colts. The Colts were able to run pretty much at will against the Ravens. Uh, or the Colts were able to run at will against the Ravens. Just be, I mean, with their with any back they wanted. I think Naeem Hines had over five yards of carry. Uh, John Taylor only had three yards of carry, but that was because he had a lot of third and one and fourth and one runs. Uh, and then Marlon Mack, I think, had like 10 yards of carry. So they were able to run with ease, and you kind of see that. And then you see going into the second half against the Ravens, Drew Locke comes in, and what do you do? You just throw the ball every single time and you know that's just not the rest that's not how you're going to win that game you could have stole that game with a better game plan there in the second half a better way to mitigate and make things easier for drew lock instead it was just drop back drop back drop back let the ravens tee off on on a quarterback who had issues and and wasn't great in the first place uh and and just kind of making things easy for the defense so yeah again the play calling uh like you said the red zone's been an issue but just overall these last two weeks has definitely looked uh not where it needs to be. Oh. Yeah, for me, that red zone is is where Javante Williams should be making his money. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that's his bread and butter is being able to power and being able to break through tackles, and, and he just he always finds a way to just kind of fall forward, and, and that then that's an area where he should be. And like in the red zone against Baltimore, they put him out wide on Patrick Queen, and granted, he won the rep because Patrick Queen couldn't cover me at this point but like it, it was just kind of silly like what what was the point of, of putting it you know like it, it was just strange and they've had some really brutal penalties there too in the red zone that's kind of pushed it back and made it even more difficult but it, it just kind of feels like they're not living up to their potential on that side of the ball and that and that kind of seems like it's on Shermer because it's not it's not being made easier on them well, let's let's dive into that. Just I don't want to like just sit here and just blast Shermer, but I do want to touch. I do want to touch on this with Javante Williams because I do think there's a misnomer out there, and I think that yeah. we should touch on that. And I also think we should touch on the line before we kind of move to like the next thing I really want to talk about. One of the big issues with Javante Williams, in my opinion, and this is something that like I think both of you guys scouted him coming out of North Carolina, the vision stuff. Um, that was the big knock on Javante Williams at North Carolina. Anybody who watched him noticed it um and again i'm not saying that he's blind i'm not like anybody like if you guys want listeners go back and read my gift horse on him i loved him he was my rb1 like i loved him coming out he has elite contact balance he's very explosive he's a well-rounded player in the fact that he's a good blocker good hands capable route runner like basically everything you want from a running back but his decision making and vision is kind of shaky you kind of hope that with reps that will improve but also like when the broncos traded up to get him you have to think like do you guys have a plan to make this worth it? And through five games, I think that they don't. Like, they're not doing what they should be doing to maximize what he's good at. Um, he was very good on gap concepts at North Carolina. The Broncos have been running him on a lot of inside zone and outside zone. Again, part of that is Melvin Gordon. That's his bread and butter, his own plays. Melvin Gordon is quite good at inside zone. That's his staple. Um, but the thing is, you traded up to get this guy, and he's at his best on power, on counter. On, tell him where the hole is. Tell him to go run through the hole and make people look stupid. And they haven't yeah. done that. They, they've, they've, yeah. they've dialed up a lot of zone plays. And because of it, what we end up getting is Javante Williams will have one play for 49 yards, and then he'll have six carries for two yards or less. And again, part of that's Javante Williams. Like I'm not saying that Shermer's all to blame for this, but part of this is also the way you're using it. Yeah, yeah. you can take this, I, AJ. Yeah, yeah, I wrote about I wrote about him after the Baltimore game, and I mean even even on the gap plays, like the 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 big angry run that he had, that everybody was like, "Oh my God, look at Javante Williams!" He cut back on gap. Yep, you're never supposed to cut. I mean, rarely, nope. very rarely, is it better to cut back on a gap play. And if that DB wasn't Tavion Tavon Young, who's like five eight one eighty. That gets blown up in the backfield. Probably, you know? yeah. And, I mean, and he had a... If he follows Quinn Miners on the pole, he probably has one-on-one -on -one with a defensive bat, and he probably wins that and scores. It, it's great, and it's, oh, look at his contact balance. He doesn't go down. He's so angry. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm a Rams fan, and I cover them. Daryl Henderson struggled early 
to adjust to the Rams offense. And they went out and they drafted Cam Akers. And like that's and they and now sure enough, two or three years after they drafted him, Daryl Henderson has started to click and it started to come well with him. But it's two or three years later and they spent a high pick again on another running back. So it's like the leash with Javante Williams, we don't really know, but it's not quite clicking and if it keeps going at this rate we're kind of like if they want to stick with zone because that's kind of the meta run can they trust javante williams to just get better at that because you really don't know and you can't live in a world where you carry the ball for two yards two yards two yards 40 yards two yards two yards i get i get that it's exciting and from a fantasy football perspective i love it i have him on my fantasy team it's great (sighs) But in terms of, like, everyone's bitching about the fact that we're ending up in these third and longs, Javante Williams is a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've i covered good running backs with Indianapolis the last couple of years. You know, Marlon Mack, 1,000-yard rusher in 2019. But coming into the NFL, he was athlete playing running back. He wasn't a running back at all. We I think we scouted him coming out, all, all of us here. He was not what he is now. He was no vision, all athlete. Can make some really cool, uh, got like really cool plays where he made defenders miss, but he had no vision. And now we're looking at now in 2021, his best trait is probably his vision. Uh, it does take running backs time to kind of build up. I mean, Jonathan Taylor last year was a three yards a carry running back until about week 10, and then he kind of figured it out and look. And then the, the I mean, obviously the Colts started doing some more duo and some more gap type stuff, uh, and he was able to find success, but. Yeah, I know. I do think it's a it's an accumulation of issues. You know, Javante Williams, his his strength in college was not his vision, and and we could we could all say that now, especially watching this this pro film. But it does kind of come down to the offensive play calling, where you know you have this back who's more of a gap, more of a power, more of a duo type guy, where that that's where he's going to find success. And running him on stretch plays and inside zones where his vision is not where it needs to be for an NFL back, you're not going to find success. And now Melvin Gordon, if you want if you want to run your stretch plays, you want to run your zone plays, get Gordon out there. You know, that that that's Melvin Gordon's game. He's always been that. The best thing about him's always been his vision. Uh very very good vision for the most part. Yeah, but yeah, Williams, yeah. you know, when you when you have these running backs, you have to be multiple with your with your run game, your run scheme. And I think your your you know your offensive lineman can handle it. It's it, you know it's it's not that that difficult going from zone on one play to gap another play, power to another play. Uh, you have athletic offensive linemen who can pull and get out in front too. Uh, so I think it's 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 just kind of right now it's a square peg in a round hole. Uh, Javante Williams I think will be fine long term. I've seen a lot of running backs uh, come through. I mean Naeem Hines is another one too where. First two years of his career with the Colts, he was a three point. He was like a three point one, three point two yards per carry guy. Last year was four point eight yards a carry. Uh, they take time to develop this this, this vision and, and develop trust in their blockers and know where you know which hole to hit. But uh, until then, you kind of got to get him in an area that's comfortable for him. And right now, for with Williams, that's those power runs, those gap runs. And if you're gonna keep rotating these backs. You know, the defense can key that a gap is coming, but if you block it well and he's doing something that he understands, it's still going to be hard to stop. It's going to be better than what's going on right now with him running all these zone runs. I would liken it to, like, when you have a rookie quarterback, you try and meet Mm -hmm. him halfway and try and give him the things that he's good at as much as you can, and hopefully he starts to figure out and well round round out his game to be able to do the the whole shebang. But right now they're not doing that. Yeah, it, yeah. That, that's kind of why James Robinson, I think, just kind of came in so well because he's got excellent vision. I think yeah. his, his vision, yeah. his decision making, and his contact balance is how he wins, and that's why he's been so successful so early on. It's that mental trait, but I, I think this kind of gets a little lost. And I I, I agree with Zach long term. Like Melvin Gordon has been playing in the NFL longer than Javante Williams has been playing running back. Yep, like that—that's that's huge. You know, he's he's relatively inexperienced. He only started playing it as a high school senior. Yeah, you know, Melvin Gordon before he was even in before Javante was in high school was like a Heisman running up, running back like a first round pick. Like, like it, so there's just going to be that gap between the two of them mentally, and if Javante, I think learning behind him is huge for his development long term. But again, it's it's still kind of a question mark of 
Like last year, I think they were fourth in gap plays. And like that's where Javante Williams should be making his money. You'd think so. Uh, so since we've kind of alluded to this, because I know the next kind of thing on this is, well, what about the offensive line? The offensive line's been bad. And AJ, I know you've watched the offensive line up close quite a bit. That's all AJ right now. Go let let AJ go with that because every every week he's putting in our group chat that we have about yeah Broncos offensive um, line play. So, so yeah, that's all him. So I want to throw a couple <laughs> narratives that I've heard at you and just kind of hear what you think about it. Okay. So Garrett Bowles is an All Pro. Why is he looking so bad? Um, that's because he's the All Pro. All Pro voting is very bad. Um, it's it's tough with Garrett Bowles, but like his hand placement and play strength has never been great, and it's showing up in 2021 again. And you're like, he's not committing as many boneheaded penalties as he was to start in Denver, but the rest of the play is kind of the same. It, it, that to me is just it's just brutal. I mean, I I think Fangio ripped him last week after Baltimore. Yep. Like he's he just needs to play better. He's not playing well, and, and Bowles was like, yeah, I, I know I need to play better, but I'm like, you're almost 30 years old, man. You don't he, – and he's never – I've never been a huge fan of Bowles as the way he plays. I just – something about it kind of rubs me the wrong way, but he does need to play better. And for some reason, like, his hand usage regressing to that extent, almost across the entire offensive line, it's like they've forgotten – how to use their hands and the play strength just hasn't been there. It's it's bizarre to me just how quickly he regressed. I mean, even week one against the Giants, yep, who right. don't really have, who don't really have great edge rushers. He wasn't dominating like you would have expected him to. Uh, I thought Lorenzo Carter won some of those reps for sure. And and yeah. Lorenzo Carter, I like Lorenzo Carter quite a bit, but he's not he's not a top tier edge rusher by any means. No, I, I mean he he primarily wins with his athleticism. Yep. His hand use, you know, Lorenzo Carter's hand usage just has never been there, even going back to college. But I mean, he's he's a heck of an athlete. We saw that Dak Prescott interception last week. You know, that's a heck of a play by him. So it's Garrett Bowles. You could you could do worse at left tackle. You know, it's it's not like Garrett Bowles is a terrible trash left tackle. You know, Zach Zach knows what that looks like right now, but. Gabriel's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's just not being as dominant as the expectation was. And maybe those expectations were a little premature for a guy with just one year of of relatively good play. So the next one I want to throw at you is uh, Graham Glasgow and Dalton Reisner are garbage. I've (laughs) I've definitely heard that quite a bit. Reisner has struggled a lot more than I thought he would. Um, it, it, like last last week, he had a rep where he, it, it was on a it was on a speed rush, and he stuck his hand out. And it was immediately swatted down, and his whole body was just fell. Like, like it's it, it's typically a rep you would see a, a, a any good guard recover on. It, but he just it gets swiped, and he his whole he's just out of position, gives up a pressure inside. You're like, what what in the world is going on? Like, to me, and Glasgow, I think is fine. Yeah, he's not. I, I know there are a lot of people that have been on board with Glasgow, and I think for the most part, I would feel more comfortable with Glasgow than Natane Moody. But Re- Reisner, for me, has been the bigger question mark. And to me, I almost wonder: just is it time for Quinn Miners? Like, at, at at any either left guard or center, because to me, I, I think the center position is still just a total turnstile. Wait, I, but, that was going to be my next one though. Blake Cushenberry has improved in his second year, and he's a leader now. Leader's so dumb. I hate hearing leader oh, when it comes oh, to football players. I hate but, it. I hate it so. Like, but I listen like, to the, the leader. Press, in, you guys yeah. didn't hear the press conferences. He's a leader now. He's he tries oh. hard, and he he knows all the calls. And he's in his second year, so he's better now. That's him. That's I hate him. hearing I, I, leader. I hate it. I just I, hate it. I, I, like, would like, he, I would hope he knows all the calls by now. <laughs> he played literally every snap last year. But like, like at some point, I mean, Quinn Miners. What was so crazy to me was in his first few games, we saw an increased awareness 
that we just typically don't see out of rookie offensive linemen. I, I mean, we know how good of an athlete Quinn Miners is. And what? we've seen him play against really good competition at the Senior Bowl. And he held up well. I mean, PFS grades for him were low. And they were like, oh, he's so bad. But, like, he was great. And to me, I'm kind of going, when is it time? When are they finally going to put this guy in? Because I think he would be an, I think he'd be an upgrade. I mean, he had a few rookie mistakes. You're, that's going to happen. But by and large, I kind of felt like overall he's had the best performance of any interior offensive lineman in I, this stage in 2021. I really liked what he did as far as picking up stunts against the Ravens. That really jumped yeah. out to me. Um, yeah, I have his some first start. Yeah, no, that's against Wink. Those against are Wink things. Martindale, who those are things that make me. Sink. They make me yeah. nervous every time teams run stunts at uh, Reisner, just because Reisner's kind of hit or miss on them. Uh, if you bring speed as the looper, Reisner sometimes will get stuck on the penetrator too long, and he by the time he gets off the the penetrator, the other guy's just going right by him. Um, and that's been a thing for three years. Like I like I end up sounding like I hate on him because I've brought that up continuously, but it has been a thing. And so to see Quinn Miners go into that game. And again, I was very nervous because you and I disagreed about Miners versus Muti going into that game, AJ. And that was the primary reasons because Miners had not played all of 2020. And like, you don't see that kind of stuff on a consistent basis at the level he played at. Like you just don't. Yeah. So to throw him against Wink Martindale for his first start, like, yeah, it was making me pucker a little bit, but I thought yeah. he held up. Listen, listen. Any offensive lineman Duke works with, I'm, I'm telling you, just, just take him. He's gonna be good. He's just gonna be good. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna brand the O line masterminds. But Quinn, Quinn to me has just, I've always loved his game, and it's really hard to not like him personality wise. And to me, I, I'm, I'm really going, how much, how, you know, is he? Would he be any worse? I don't think so. I actually think he might be a little better. I think he dominant. You saw that play strength on a few of those reps yep. that you just didn't see from Reisner. I mean, he was just dominating. I mean, there was a rep against, was it Quinnen? I want to say it was against Quinnen Williams, where he just stoned him. Yep. Just straight up stoned him in pass pro. That's hard to do because Quinnen Williams is so dominant at the point of attack. And, and, and that was in relief game. He didn't even get the start. He just kind of casually goes out there and stones Quinn and Williams. Like, yeah, play the kid. Play it. I don't wanna I don't wanna get us too dragged into Bobby Massey, but I gotta bring up Bobby Massey because he's the only guy we haven't touched on. Um so I wanna throw I wanna throw the narrative that I throw out to people and you can tell me how wrong I am or how I'm kind of close to the ballpark. So I would say that Bobby Massey is probably the Broncos best right tackle since the Peyton Manning era. But I also would say that that says more about what the Broncos have had at right tackle as much as Bobby Massey. Um, I think Bobby Massey is probably about average. Um, some matchups he's okay. Some matchups he's bad. Um, he's kind of like you shrug your shoulders and it's like hopefully they draft somebody because at some point you need to fix that spot for real. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. To me, like, I, I can't remember who. I think they had Elijah Wilkinson yeah. and Dotson last year. Yep. Um, and, and I don't know previously because last year was the only Broncos tape that I really got into. But, like, he he's just kind of there. You know, he, he's not trash but he's not exactly good or great he's an average right tackle which they knew he would be when they signed him you know you're you're just kind of hoping he doesn't get whooped up on every rep which he doesn't uh Owe got him pretty significantly yeah, he, he had a few rough he had a few rough reps in, against pittsburgh but you know a lot of elite right tackles struggle with tj watt too yeah so but you know he we kind of knew what he would be when they signed him and that's kind of what he's been and and that's okay 
And so that kind of brings me to like the main, cause again, like you look at some of the numbers, Teddy Bridgewater, according to pro football reference. Um, and again, like, I don't know how I feel about their charting yet. Like I have to kind of, like, I don't normally pay attention to their advanced charting, but I did see it. Um, according to them, Teddy Bridgewater has been under pressure. I want to say on 32.3% of his snaps. That's a lot. Um, some of that is the play action stuff that they were using the first three weeks is going to draw pressure. Like you're drawing people coming down against the run and then they just continue to rush. Um, some of it is teams are, you know, sending heat, but also that's a lot. That's, that's a pretty high number. And that was one of those things I was really concerned about with Teddy Bridgewater going into better competition is that if they can't do something about the pressure, it's only a matter of time before Bridgewater starts to regress because you can't perform at that level consistently under dress every play. The, the scary, the scary part would be like, what will Drew Locke look under those numbers? Oh God, I don't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I also feel like Teddy, not to say that he invites pressure, but there are a lot of reps where he is going through his reads. Yep. It, it's not a one read look often, and so like, yeah, he's going to be a little more under pressure. Because he's he's taking deeper shots than we thought he would. It's not the ball's out in two seconds. It's not a Ben Roethlisberger looking offense. It's a he's going one, two, three, and maybe even four on a few reps. And that that's just going to happen with pressure. Yes, the offensive line could play better, but yeah, that's that's just kind of the way. And Teddy's a a pocket guy, and he thrives in the pocket, so it's going to happen. But that number is rather high. It's really, really, really high. Uh, to your point just now, before we kind of shift, that is actually one of the reasons why I don't find I can blame Teddy Bridgewater for not hooking up with Noah Fant more. Because, like, if Noah Fant is getting open on routes that are worth throwing to, Bridgewater would be throwing to him. Yeah. The problem The problem is that Fant's being asked to chip a lot, and he's being basically a tertiary receiver. He's dump-off guy. Um, which, yeah. that's, like, what he's been doing. But that's one of the reasons why when you when people look at the numbers from Pittsburgh, everybody's lost their mind about the fact that Noel Fant wasn't seeing the ball. That was a big part of it. Yeah, and, and there was a big part of that last year, too, where mm-hmm. it almost felt like they was like, oh, here, here, Noah Fant to the flat, that's your check down, if need be. And they weren't using him right. And again, is that a Shermer thing? Is that a quarterback thing? Is that an offensive line thing? Because they've not been able to figure out the right tackle spot. It's a combination of all three for me. Like, it just – he, it sucks because Noah Fant's potential could be, like, a top a top ten. He should be. End, easily. He should easily. be. Easily. But he's just not getting the production, even though he's – I think he's getting open a fair amount. It's just – they're. I think they need to be better about building around him because right now you could make an argument he's their best skill position player. With Judy out, you can make that argument. So kind of, kind of from there, this is kind of where I want to kind of move to, and then we'll probably end after this is because I know I'm keeping you guys, so I apologize. The NFL trade deadline, um, it falls on November second this year. The Broncos have three games before the trade deadline, but they play the Raiders on Sunday. They turn around, they play the Browns on Thursday night football. So they have two games in four days. And then they have a little bit of a lull before the next game and then the deadline. Um, with that mini buy, that kind of puts the Broncos in this situation where if you come out of these two games, somehow five and two, you could theoretically be a buyer at the trade deadline. Because if you're trying to compete with the heavyweights, it could make sense to go after a veteran linebacker, maybe get a receiver help. If anybody's selling stuff, you know, you could pick stuff up. Jacksonville might trade Miles Jack at some point. I would be, I doubt it, but I'd be interested uh, for sure. Um, but on the other side of that coin, if the Broncos drop these next two games, they're three and four with a mini buy, which makes sense that if you're going to sell pieces, the guys that are left can have a little bit of extra practice time to try and step into that new role. Again, I'm not advocating for either side of this. I just, that does look like a distinct possibility, especially when George Payton is in the first year of his tenure. So he's going to be able to do whatever thinking long-term. Whereas if he wants to strip it down, he could. Um, yeah. so I guess my first question to you guys is, do you think the Broncos make the playoffs? Because that's kind of, well, because that's the first part of this argument, I think, because like, let's say the Broncos win one of these two games. 
then it's kind of on pain to decide, am I going to kind of hold ship and try and do what we can with this year? Because the Broncos currently have 27 players on their active roster that are on expiring deals. Um, and that's not counting guys that are on IR right now. So Bradley Chubb, tech, I know with the fifth-year option, he's not expiring. But, but you have guys like that as well. Um, Josie Jewell, guys like that. But 27 players are on expiring deals. Some of those guys probably won't be back. So this is kind of a one-year window. Um, so looking at what we've seen through the first five games, do you think this Broncos team will make the playoffs? Uh, I don't know. Will make is tough. Uh, Definitively saying will make, I don't know if I can be there right now. I think they have a, they have a decent shot with the other teams that'll be competing for that seventh spot. They're going to be in competition for that seventh spot whether it's with the Colts, uh, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Steelers, there's going to be decent competition for that seventh spot. I don't think it's going to be as strong as it was last year where the Colts were 11-5 and five taking that seventh spot, but I do think there's going to be some decent competition. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's, it's very, very interesting. Like you said, there's a lot of players in expiring deals, but is three and four a record where you're comfortable selling? You know, and I think – the three of us, we can look at that away from the team, just disjointed from an organization and say, sell. You know, if you lose to this Raiders team, sell. Easy. Yeah, It's nice and easy. But it's a lot tougher when you're in the building, you're around all these players, and, you know, to tell them, hey, at three and four, we don't think you're good enough to make the playoffs. That's a tough sell. It is. Yeah. Uh, and you're basically giving up on this head coaching, on this coaching staff too, if you're saying we're going to be selling because, you know, this coaching staff could be in a – uh, a one-year window as well, where if they don't make the playoffs, there's major changes there as well. Uh, so it's very, very tough. Um, I'm inclined to say even if they are at three and four, we probably won't see too much of a sell. Maybe maybe a veteran or something like that. Like I don't even want to say like a Bryce Callahan or something because that's a good player that you'd be trading away. And again, for a three and four team trading away a good player, it's a tough sell for your organization. So I don't know. I, I think they're going to be a team that's good enough to have a chance at making the playoffs. I, I, I legitimately think they do. And honestly, I could even say uh, them, the Steelers, and even though the Bengals look good, I, I'd probably put the Colts above them in terms of making the playoffs just with the Colts having so many easy games down the stretch. But, you know, it's going to be that race to 9-10 wins, I think, with those teams. And I think the Broncos probably have the inside track along with, like, the Steelers. Uh, but... It, it's it, it is a tough situation. If you're sitting at five and two, do you go all out? If you're sitting at three and four, do you sell? I don't know, but I, I I do feel more confident in saying I think it's more likely that they you know would trade and try to add more guys than they would sell because that because the worst record you're gonna have is three and four, and I just don't think that's a record where you really are convinced to sell. You can convince that locker room that we're gonna sell. Yeah, it to me the tough part would be like if they lose to the Raiders, but then they turn around and beat the Browns on Thursday because yeah. the the Browns are shorthanded. Like if you look at their injury report against this game against the Cardinals, it, it's, it's long, it's huge. And they're going to have to turn around and play Thursday as well. So we don't, we don't know the health of them. So if, and with how Baker Mayfield has kind of played, it's been varied. It's been inconsistent. Like, that could be a trap game if Fangio's in his bag against the Browns. Like, you, we just don't know. But if you lose to the Raiders and then beat the Browns, who are a good team, then you're kind of like, uh, how do how do we feel long term? Yeah. And then they have Washington, and Washington right now is struggling. They don't yeah. really have that. We they don't have the defense we thought they would. They don't have a quarterback that we thought they would. It's not really there for them. And if and the Broncos, if they put that one away, like they should, that's right before the deadline, you're kind of sitting here going, okay, well, we lost to a team we shouldn't have. We beat a team we probably shouldn't have. That's a little shorthanded, but we still beat them. And then we beat a team that we should have taken care of, like we did early on in the season. You know, then you're like, I don't know the direction of this team. Because it's a, but the thing is, is the Broncos, I think like two, I think four, a couple, like four of their last games, they have the Chargers and Chiefs. Yeah. Yep. Like, like in a row. Like that's, that's, that's that's to me, 
And if you're trying to contend, like nobody else plays the Chargers and Chiefs in the last few weeks. Like like and so if you if you're not feeling like this team can make the playoffs, you probably should sell, but what happens if you don't sell and you drop all those games and you're out of the playoffs? And then, then you're kind of screwed. And so it's like right now you just, just don't have a clue. That to me is what's making the Broncos like where – like if I, I don't envy George Payton right now just because yeah. from the first week of the season we heard that the Broncos felt really good about their cornerback room. Teams were calling them about it. Uh, we're now quickly getting to this point where Michael Ojemudi is supposed to be back. At some point, Ronald Darby is probably going to – he might very well play against the Raiders. Um, they may at some point get Duke Dawson and Sang Bassey back. You know, don't count on it, but maybe. Um, but they have too many corners, or they're about to have too many corners. So I think if they do make a move, um, the move that makes the most sense, and I'm not saying I'm advocating for it, but it's something that AJ touched on is trading Kyle Fuller. If you can get was... something decent for Fuller, you slide Sertan into that spot. Darby takes back over where he was and you kind of roll with it. Um, but if you're, if you're five and two, I think it's hard to trade anybody because yeah. at that point you're yeah. chasing, you're trying to chase the Super Bowl. then. Um, I know yeah. it might seem like a, you know, a pipe dream because Teddy Bridgewater, but that's the hope. Um, but if, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like to, and, and I want to push back a little bit on this, Zach is if you fall the three and four, knowing that you have the chiefs, the chargers twice and the Raiders again, if I'm George Payton, that's tough. Because like if you can't beat the Raiders, the Browns, the Steelers, it's hard to argue that you're going to beat the Chargers or the Chiefs at all. Um, like in your most honest moment with yourself, I I think I would look at in the mirror and say I don't think this is the year. And then you and then like if you're George Payne at that point, it's well, I'm like his job security depends more on outside factors than what he's actually doing this year. As long as he doesn't completely blow it, because mm-hmm. with the Broncos ownership situation. That's what's going to determine his job more than anything in my mind. Um, so, like, he could feasibly argue with himself that if I suddenly have his giant cash or draft picks, the new owner might be really happy with me because now we can go chase a quarterback, we can do whatever. Because right now the Broncos don't have any extra ammo. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, hey, it's tough. That pick from Trinity Benson. So oh, yeah, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot about the fifth round right? pick. I apologize. Sorry, yeah, dear listeners. I was... How dare I? I was going to jump in and say, as AJ was talking, I did think, yeah, Kyle Fuller makes the most sense. Even if they are, I mean, five and two, you probably don't make a trade. But if you're four, four and four, or whatever, three and four, whatever the record is at the deadline, uh, Kyle Fuller makes the most sense because he was a one-year signing uh, in the offseason, doesn't have the connections in the locker room, has struggled. And then you have your young first-round pick right behind him. So that does make sense. Um, and you would probably get a good enough pick where you can kind of justify the trade. Not saying he's going to get like a second round pick, but you can definitely justify that trade if it's a third or a fourth or whatever. But, but I, um, I heard that Justin Tucker might go for a first round pick today, though. So that's a thing going around. Da- Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah said he talked to uh, somebody in the NFL who asked him if any teams would trade a first round pick for Justin Tucker. And I'm bringing this up because I know that yet. you love kickers, Zach. <laughs> yeah, that, that's part of your brand, Zach. We know you're a big kickers guy. I will always say, I, this is what I actually I do say to, to people, is all kickers suck and don't matter, except for Justin Tucker. But even then, I'm not trading a first-round pick for a no, kicker. I, I think that's a good way to get fired. <laughs> like, like look, look, all kickers suck. They don't matter. They're the worst. But I'm not trading, a, except for Justin Tucker, but I'm not trading a first for him. Like, Justin Tucker is the only exception just because he's that much better than every other kicker in the last decade that has played in this league, but no, not a first round pick for a kicker. No. <laughs> yeah, to me, like the, I, I touched on this in the Kyle Fuller piece was like, it was talking, I mainly hit on like the significance of the trade asset versus the trade off. Cause it's like Kyle, you know, corners don't fetch a high price. Nope. I, yeah, like, I mean, Stefan Gilmore just went for a sixth round pick. Yeah. I don't even think it was in 2022. I think it was a 2023 sixth-round pick. And that's two years removed from his defensive player of the year. Like, I think the only corner that's gone for a first-round pick in the last decade was Jalen Ramsey. Yep. And the second-rounder, I think, was Cromartie. I think that's what I wrote, was Antonio Cromartie. 
Yeah. Like, oh, Marcus Pe- Marcus Peters went for one, I think, and then and then before him was Antonio Cromartie in like 2013. Like, like they just don't fetch a high price, and so you're going at the deadline if the Broncos are kind of mixed. You're kind of going is a third and a sixth or a third and a fifth, whatever, a third and some day three change. Is it worth having that personnel in the secondary of being able to have uh, Fuller and Sertan and Darby and Callahan? Is it worth passing on that for a third round pick and change? And that's tough. You know, as a regime, if you don't feel like you're going to make it, yeah, you'll take whatever you can get. But if you're kind of mixed, what what do you do? Yep. And and that's the problem with Kyle Fuller being your main trade asset, just because his position doesn't fetch a high price anymore. Yep. So my hope personally uh, is that the Broncos kick the Raiders' ass, uh, that they blow out the Browns on Thursday night football, and that they take care of business against Washington, and we don't have to worry about it. Well, um, then they blow out everybody else on their yeah, schedule and no, win they, the Super Bowl. Like, that's, that's all wrong. Fifteen yeah. and two until we aren't. Yeah. That's how I'm looking at it. <laughs> yeah, but but I also think that you know realistically we have to kind of touch on like because again this is a turning point week in a lot of ways, guys, and it's by the time we're kind of like catching our breath and kind of taking stock of where things are, we'll be at the deadline. So this is kind of the time where I think it's worth kind of looking at where are things moving. So. But that's why I had to have you guys on. Uh, I wanted to kind of touch on things, kind of see where things are at five weeks in. I think uh, in a lot of ways, expectations are kind of like the crux of a lot of the pain going on in Broncos country right now. Um, I don't blame anybody. Again, I've been pretty disappointed with some of the stuff that's gone on. Uh, but I think better days ahead if uh, if people get their poop in a group. <laughs> but I just want to say... I think that's uh, the first time I've ever heard that in my life. Same. I just, same. <laughs> happy to bring that to you that's a yeah that i'm gonna put a trademark on that one but uh but again uh guys if you don't already follow zach and aj on twitter you need to uh again i assume if you're listening to my podcast uh you guys love good broncos coverage these are two of the best people out there covering the broncos um aj's work is at mile high report you can find him on twitter at aj draft scout zach's work is over at sports illustrated he covers the colts and the broncos um, he is the lead analyst for uh, Sports Illustrated's Colts coverage. And then he is also a film guy for Mile High Huddle. He does a lot of work with quarterbacks. So if you're wondering what's going on with Teddy Bridgewater, you need to follow Zach. Somehow I became the quarterback guy. I don't know how it happened, but it's whatever. I, I get paid the same. I'm the quarterback guy now for both sites somehow. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you so much for joining me, guys. It was a lot of fun.